Lord, that is our prayer, that you would come here and raise us to your thoughts, your ways, through what you say to us in your word. We ask this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Just before I preach for the next couple of weeks, I just want to take a minute, as I did last week, to again extend an invitation to the men in this church to come to Men's Fraternity, which starts October 9th. Uh, we'll meet Tuesday mornings between October and March, taking a break for Christmas, 6.30 to 7.55. And it's a program I'm adapting that has worked well in a lot of other churches. We'll look at some of the lies we've been told, some of the wounds we've received as men that keep us from being the men that God wants us to be. And then look at some real practical how-tos out of the Bible to be better men, better husbands, better fathers, boyfriends, leaders, all of that stuff. So I encourage you guys to come, especially you guys in your 20s, 30s, and 40s. Uh, everyone's welcome. All men are welcome. But uh, you younger guys, this is a chance for you to meet other younger guys in the church, as well as get some practical teaching that's very applicable to where you're at in life. So I encourage you guys to come. Last week, we had, for the first week, we had sign-ups. Uh, and normally in this church, the first week of sign-ups, nobody signs up. You all just wait to the last minute. That's what you do. I love you, but you make it hard to plan. <laughs> Last week was the first week of sign-ups. 150 guys signed up, which that's never happened before. So, All ages were represented there, so you don't have to sign up, but it would help us plan if after the service, if you think it is more than 50% likely that you're going to be there, put your name on the piece of paper. You don't want to be left out. You don't want to be the only guy in the church that doesn't go. That'd be embarrassing. <laughs> You'd have to explain it all the time. It'd, be, it'd just be bad. All right, now for the sermon. Today is the official first day of fall. Now that leads me to a question. How many of you feel that weather-wise, we got ripped off this summer? <laughs> yeah. The newspaper yesterday said that out of the 95 days of summer this year, only 19 were clear. And we had an extra inch of rain than normal. In August, my four-year-old daughter looked at me and said, Is it Christmas time? Because the weather was so cold. <laughs> now, to me, all of that violates the implied contract of Seattle living, which clearly states that 10 months of grace shall be compensated for by two months of sunshine. I think we should sue. Now let me ask you a second question Are there times in your life When you feel that God is as elusive as the sun in Seattle You've been told he exists But you're not sure you've seen him Just like the sun And maybe occasionally you get a sense of God's presence Maybe even whole stretches where God is very real to you And you experience him in your life but then there are other times he just seems obscured by some kind of cloud. Maybe you're facing a health crisis, or a relationship problem, or a financial issue, and you're wondering, where is God? Or maybe it's the opposite. Maybe things are going so well that you just never think about him, because you don't really feel like you need him. Last week we talked about how we can connect with God through the four H's, head, heart, hands, habits. Through prayer, through learning to hear his voice. And I think that's important because a lot of times when we don't experience God as real, the issue is that we're not doing the things we need to do to connect to him. It's not that God's not there, it's that we're not there. But what about those times when we are doing all the right things to connect us to God? 
But we still don't experience His presence. We pray and pray, but we don't feel any kind of connection. We go to worship and we try to concentrate, but we just can't help it. We just can't pay attention. And we pray and we wait and we seek and God just doesn't seem to respond. Doesn't even seem to exist. That's where the verse that we just read, I think, can become a very life-changing verse. It comes out of the story of Jacob in the Bible. And just to refresh your memory, Jacob was a mama's boy, if you remember right. And he had a brother named Esau. The Bible tells us over and over again that Esau was a hairy man. The Bible really wants us to know that Esau was hairy. And Esau was a few bottles shy of a six-pack. And so he sold his entire inheritance to Jacob in exchange for a bowl of red mush. Not a good trade. Later, Jacob steals his father's blessing from Esau. And so Esau gets furious and decides to kill Jacob. You know, as you do. In your family, right? This happens in your family all the time, right? This should make you feel better. At least we're not like Jacob and Esau, do you? So Jacob did what every mama's boy would do when a hairy man tries to kill him. Runs away. And on his first night out, Jacob has a dream of a stairway to heaven, just like the Led Zeppelin song. And God is at the top of the stairway. And he looks at Jacob and says, Jacob, I am going to bless you. I am going to give you 12 kids, which back then was a good thing. (laughs) And your kids are going to become the nation of Israel, and I'm going to work through that nation to save the whole world. And Jacob wakes up and he says, surely the Lord was in this place, but I was unaware. That's a life-changing verse. I mean, here Jacob's brother is trying to kill him. As the story goes on, there's going to be rape, incest, attempted fratricide. Can God be in that? In the middle of that mess, Jacob affirms, surely the Lord is in this place, but I was unaware. So many times, God just doesn't seem to be there, does he? The hard times, the times when we pray and nothing seems to happen, the times when we just forget all about him. This verse is life-changing because it reminds me that Whether I feel it or not, whether I experience it or not, God is there. Just because I'm not experiencing it doesn't mean he's not there. And if by faith we act on what we cannot see, if by faith we act as though God were present every waking minute and sleeping minute of our lives, our lives would change in some dramatic ways. For starters, this verse frees us from guilt and shame because it affirms that God is with us even when we sin. You know, Jacob has a lot of sin right now. Lying, cheating, stealing. God blesses him anyway. What this verse says is that even in our secret lusts, our disgusting bad habits, the things we think and do, God never turns his back on us. God never walks away. God never gives up. That's the plot of the Bible. Those four words. God never gives up. Instead, in the person of Jesus, he himself pays the price for our sins on the cross so that we can be declared clean, righteous, holy in his sight. If we know him. So when that voice goes off in your head and says, you schmuck, look at your sin, doesn't it make you sick? Don't you discuss, oh, don't you feel guilty? You can say, shut up, voice. I'm a child of God, redeemed in Jesus Christ. God has wiped the slate clean. I am righteous in his sight. This verse frees us from guilt and shame. This this verse also turns life into an adventure. 
Because it says that God is with us even in the ordinary events of life. You know, back in Jacob's day, people thought that God, gods were localized. God for this city, God for that city. So when Jacob left his town, he figured he left God too. Now, we don't believe that God is localized, but we do believe that God is compartmentalized. God is in church. God is there when I pray. But God's not there in my office. He's not in the grocery store. He's not there when I'm paying my bills. But this verse says no. God is in the office. God is in your home. God is at the grocery store, even if you're unaware of it. And he's not just there, but God has something he wants to do in that place. He has an agenda for that place. And if we live as if this verse is true, and say, God, whether I feel it or not, I know you're here, and then ask two questions. Lord, what are you doing here? And Lord, how can I help? Life becomes an adventure. I have a friend who was driving to a meeting one day, and he pulled over and got gas and paid the cashier and, and left. Well, a few minutes later, he got this feeling that he should turn, turn around and go back. It, it wasn't an audible voice. It was just a feeling in his gut that just as easily could have been the ho-ho he had for lunch. And my friend isn't one of those I hear God talking all the time kind of people. I mean, he's normal, a Christian, but normal, right? But this, this one time, he thought, oh, oh, what the heck, let's just give it a whirl. So he turned around, went back to the gas station, went up to the attendant and said, you're going to think I'm crazy, but God told me to come back and talk to you. And the attendant said, oh, thank God, because I've had a terrible day, and I need to talk to someone. And went on to talk about the problems he was having with his girlfriend and all kinds of things. And my friend listened and said, you know, Jesus can help with that. And the long and the short of it is, that attendant decided to be a follower of Jesus that day. That's a true story. Not sermon illustration true, really true, actually true. <laughs> if we act as if God is at the gas station, is in the office, is at the supermarket, and he's got an agenda there, even if we're not aware, and if we ask, Lord, what are you doing, and how can I help, life becomes an adventure. A third way this verse can change our lives is it gives us confidence. Because it affirms that God is with us even in our failures. Now it needs to be said that God is with us in our successes too, even when we forget to thank Him for them. God is there even when things are going so well we don't think about Him. And we can always turn to Him and connect to Him in the ways I talked about last week. But God is also there in our failures. You know, this is a failure for Jacob. When your brother tries to kill you, something hasn't worked out the way you wanted it to, right? But God is there even in that. God is there when the company goes bust. God is there when you get laid off. God is there when the marriage starts to go south. God is there, and he's doing something good with that failure. When I was in college, I remember I took a, an advanced fiction writing class. And the very first story I turned in, I got a, a D. Now, I got bad grades all through high school because of my extracurricular activities in the back parking lot. But in college, up to that point, I had never seen a consonant on a paper. I, I, I had only seen that glorious vowel that begins the alphabet. And now, here was a consonant. And not just any consonant, I mean, not even a labial as in b b b right? a dental. Perilously close to a fricative. <laughs> I did not just cuss. 
I was embarrassed. I was angry. And that night I went to my Bible study. I didn't talk. I was in a bad mood. And they kept saying, what's wrong? What's wrong? Finally, I told them I got a D on a paper. And I know this is kind of a little thing, but it really it bothers me. And they listened very patiently and they, they prayed for me. But <laughs> I took over myself probably. But, <laughs> but here was the cool thing for me in that. That was the first time I can remember ever in my life, ever, admitting to anyone that I was less than perfect. Up to that point, I had been doing a ton of image management in my life. And that was the first time I can remember saying, you know, here's an embarrassing failure. And those people eventually became my best friends to this day. And that started in me a habit of being more honest with my weaknesses, with my failures, with the ways I mess up. God didn't cause that failure. I was capable of getting that bad grade all on my own. But God was in it, working with it, to help me become a different person. This verse frees us from guilt and shame. It turns life into an adventure. It gives us confidence, knowing that God is with us, working even in our failures. And finally, this verse can give us courage and comfort, because it affirms that God is with us, even in our trials and our pain. In this story, if you read it, when Jacob goes to sleep, he takes a rock and he uses it as a pillow and he lies down on the ground. Jacob is literally between a rock and a hard place. But God is there even in that. You know, the the King James version of this passage refers to the place where Jacob slept as that place, which is a pretty good translation of the Hebrew, that place. But you know, if it's referred to as that place, it can't be a good place, right? I've told you before that when my wife and I, right when we had our first child, we also got a puppy, which was the stupidest thing we'd ever done. The puppy, not the baby. Fine line. The dog chewed through our computer cords twice, chewed the woodwork in the house, I mean, even chewed through two plastic bottles of grape juice that we were going to use for communion the next day. Now, that's got to be like the number one dog sin, don't you think? <laughs> Chewing up grape juice for communion. I mean, like, I just wanted there to be a dog god that could wreak dog god vengeance on this beast. <laughs> now, the dog had a name, Toby. But more often than not, my wife would refer to her as that dog. Right? Occasionally, there was another word or two mixed in there for color. But you get the point, right? And when it was really bad, she'd look at me and she'd say, that dog of yours. <laughs> Just like when I was bad as a kid and my mom would say to my dad, you know what that son of yours did? So when the Bible calls this place that place, you know that can't be a good place, right? Have you ever been to that place? Is there a that place in your life? That place of failure and disappointment and frustration and pain? That place of dashed hopes and dreams? Maybe it's that place of shame and embarrassment because of something you did in the past. Or maybe because of something that was done to you that you don't even want to remember because it's so painful. That place where you've just committed the same stupid sin again. Whether it's raging at your kids too much or looking at pornography or spending more money than you should. That place that you don't even want to name because it's so secret, too ugly, too dark to talk about. Maybe it's that place that you don't actually think is a mess, but really it is a mess. That marriage, and there's something not quite right, but you're blaming your spouse. Or that habit you have, and you're justifying it to yourself. 
Or maybe it's that place of loneliness where you have prayed and prayed and prayed for a friend or a spouse or a child and nothing has happened. That place where the cancer won't heal, the pain won't ease, the marriage won't mend, the kids won't mind. That place where no matter how hard you pray, no matter how hard you ask, no matter how hard you seek, no matter how hard you knock, God does not seem to respond. That place, that's the place I'm talking about. Do you have a that place in your life? And this verse can change your life. Because what it promises is here's the truth. That place has no power. That place has no authority. That place cannot defeat you. That place doesn't have an ice cube's long-term chance in hell when that place comes up against the power of the risen Christ. Because surely the Lord is in that place, even if you're unaware. God's being there does not depend on you feeling it. He's there, whether you feel it or not. And He is working behind the scenes to bring you good and Him glory. You know, the moment in history where God looked the most absent was when Jesus was crucified. Couldn't get more absent than that. But surely the Lord was even in that place, though no one could see it at the time. But three days later, when the women came to the tomb, it was clear that God was there and that he was working because that place was empty and Jesus had risen. So if you're going through a hard time right now and you don't know where God is, surely the Lord is in that place. Even if you're unaware, have courage, take comfort. I have a friend whose dad had a stroke 18 months ago, and he was only in his 50s, which is pretty young. And he was still able to talk and walk, but it slowed him down a lot. Well, then this summer he got cancer, and he died. And shortly after that I asked my friend, how are you doing with your dad's death? And he said, you know, it's sad, but I see God all over this thing. You see, growing up, my friend had a real difficult relationship with his dad. His dad was a Christian, and outside the home, he was gregarious, compassionate, always talking about Jesus. But then with his family, inside the home, he was angry, he was always upset, verbally, emotionally abusive, and my friend never felt very close to him. But after the stroke, his dad began to change. For starters, Jesus became more than just a talking point to my friend's dad. Jesus became real. He experienced Jesus carrying him along. And my friend's dad also became more relational. He didn't feel the need to criticize and and pick on my friend anymore. Instead, he spent more time with his sons, listening to them, talking to them, taking an interest in their lives. He bought my friend a new car because my friend and his wife were struggling financially and his dad wanted to help. And during those 18 months, I can remember my friend saying over and over again, I finally feel like I've got a dad who loves me. I finally feel like I've got a dad that I'm connected to. But then this summer, his dad developed cancer. And he decided not to have treatment because the treatment would really basically only add a couple of months to his life anyway. And instead, he decided that he was ready to go home and be with the God who had become so real to him in the last 18 months. Well, shortly after that, he and his wife were having their normal Saturday evening Bible study at their home and with their close friends. And he said, I'm sleepy, I'm going to take a nap. And he never woke up. So when I asked my friend how he felt about his dad's death, my friend said, you know, I'm sad, but there's a lot of joy in this. Because his dad died after having spent 18 months in reconciled relationship with his family. Having grown so close to God that he wasn't afraid to die. And then he finally died peacefully in his sleep, surrounded by people he loved who were reading scripture and praying him home to be with his Lord. 
better to go that way in your 50s than angry, uptight, bitter, and estranged from God, family, and friends at 90. My friends said God didn't cause the cancer or the stroke, but he used them to make my dad, who he really was, way down on the inside. And I can see God's fingerprints all over this thing. Stroke, cancer, nobody wants to be in that place. But surely the Lord was in that place, even if you couldn't always see it all the time. Right after his dream in this story, Jacob takes the rock that he used as a pillow and he turns it into an altar where he offers thanksgiving to God. And then he names that place Bethel, which means the house of God. And what that tells me is that that thing that is hard as stone in our lives can become the altar upon which we praise God. And that place that is so difficult can become the house of God, where we experience God's power and presence in our lives. For my friend, the the hard stone of his father's illness and death became an altar upon which he could thank God. And that place of pain became Bethel, the house of God. A hard place, but a place where they encountered the power of the risen Christ to turn all things to good. Jesus said, I will never leave you, and I will never forsake you. And as a guarantee of that, he left us his Holy Spirit, who lives inside of us all the time if we know Jesus. You see, Jacob's dream about that stairway to heaven, that was just a foreshadowing of the ultimate connection to heaven. The ultimate bridge between the gap between us and God, and that's Jesus. Jesus is the stairway to heaven. Emmanuel, God himself with us no matter what. So what is that place in your life? Is it your sin? God's still with you. He hasn't given up. He's never going to give up. You, You don't need to feel guilt and shame. Or is it the ordinariness of life? Are you bored? God is there even in your office everywhere inviting you into an adventure. Or is it your failure and pain? God is there working behind the scenes for your good and his glory. And though you cannot see it now, it will come out right. It will come out right. Here's a promise that will change your life. Surely the Lord is in that place, even if you're unaware. Lord, help us to live by faith what we cannot see. And trust your promises so that we have freedom from guilt. So that we have adventure. So that we have confidence, courage, and comfort. We ask this in your name. Amen.